Welcome trailblazers and visionaries to the Forging Manufacturing Podcast. I am your host, Dave Hampton. And I'm your co-host, Jason Flores. So Forging Manufacturing's goal is to provide insight and thought leadership to those working in, around, or simply just interested in manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll bring you thought leaders who will share their stories of success and achievements or stories of failures and how they've overcome. And hopefully we'll all learn something new. Yeah, Jason, ultimately, we want you, our audience, to walk away entertained and have a roadmap to better, whatever better means for you. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And on that note, our guest today is Jim Carroll. Now, Jim is one of the world's leading international futurists, trends, and innovation experts. Futurist. Interesting. Yeah, he's got a client list that ranges from DuPont to the World Bank, the Swiss Innovation Forum to the National Australia Bank, the Walt Disney Organization to NASA. You may have heard of a couple of those. <laughs> One of his last events prior to the global pandemic was at the as the opening keynote speaker for a major conference for the World Bank in Morocco. Uh, so we're definitely in good company. Sounds like it. Yeah. 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 His focus is on helping to transform uh, growth oriented organizations into high velocity innovation heroes. Now, Jim loves to golf, which as a 12 handicap uh, caused him some amazement when he was uh, invited, I'm sorry, to open the 94th annual general meeting of the PGA. And for those that are not aware, the PGA is the (laughs) Professional Golf Association of America. Thanks for the clarification. You got it. Uh, To challenge 500 golf pros as to how to think about innovation and future trends. Jim was the first external speaker the PGA has ever engaged to speak at their AGM and has high hopes that he has helped to shape the future direction of the world's largest sport. He's also hoping to inspire you in a similar way today. So welcome, Jim. Yeah, thank you for having me in. Yeah, uh, you know, it really excited to to be speaking with you and i know today's topic is or topics are super timely um everyone loves a, a top 10 list you've actually gone ahead and, and created three uh so you know looking forward to actually diving diving deep into uh into this with you yeah what i've what i've discovered i mean i've, I've been a futurist for 25 years and just you know a crazy list of clients like nasa and disney and the pga and, and what I'm discovering is people are starting to return to thinking about the future. I mean, we're getting obviously out to the other side of this thing. And what I'm discovering is people are sort of thinking, okay, well, what were we talking about before the pandemic in our industry? Um, how did the pandemic change our industry? And what does that mean going forward? And, and so I've done a lot of thinking about what is going on in the in the world of manufacturing to, to put that into, into a perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said something about a futurist, Jim. Uh, this is the first time I've heard the title futurist. I thought maybe you could expand a little bit about where that title came from and what exactly it means. Yeah, it's sort of, I, I mean, my job is to think about the, the, the future. And I found myself in a lot of very unique circumstances. Look, in 2012 and 2014, uh, NASA invited me in to talk to a bunch of astronauts and mission directors and literally rocket engineers. And, and sort of the theme was... Um, We've always been the people in the business of space, NASA, but we know that is going to change and we have to challenge ourselves. What are the trends are going to take us there? And so that was sort of pre-SpaceX and pre-privatization of space. Disney had me in for a talk on creativity, and that was around 
what can we expect in terms of consumer demand in the future? How will they can, you know, um, consume media? Uh, how is our industry going to change? So really what I do is I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about what comes next and, and what it really means. I mean, I do every industry. I mean, I, I, Look, I went into do a lot of talks in the world of agriculture and um, do a lot of research. And one point, a fellow came up to me and said, you know, like, how long have you been a farmer? Um, so it's really just a job to help people think about what comes next. And rather than fearing what comes next, what do we do to turn it into opportunity? Well, I'd say no need to delay. Let's, uh, I'm excited, too excited. Let's just get into it. Uh, do we want to go into what we were talking about in manufacturing innovation pre-COVID? Yeah, so I, I'm just going to jump back, um, you know, into my uh, studio here for a bit. And for those who are listening by audio, what you would see right here is this awesome stage set. I mean, the <laughs> pandemic hit and I wasn't on a stage anymore in Las Vegas. So I built my own virtually in, in a basement. And look, here's what I was doing just before the pandemic. The World Bank uh, had me over to Marrakesh, Morocco, uh, late 2019 for a talk on the future of manufacturing in third world economies. I mean, I was doing a lot of very niche oriented topics like that. And I've gone into a tremendous number of manufacturing conferences. I've filmed a whole bunch of material where I'm talking about robotics and 3D printing, additive, uh, industrial, internet of things, really putting in perspective for folks, the trends that are going to change their future. And what, I've, what I was talking about, if we go through that list, uh, if we you know sort of consider what was I identifying for the World Bank and for uh, robotics companies and for you know big uh, manufacturing association conferences was a whole laundry list of the key trends. And your, your audience, everybody's going to be very familiar with these. Um, the key thing is these trends were unfolding at a very fast pace. I mean, my tagline is the future belongs to those who are fast. So what were we talking about pre, pre-COVID? Rapid acceleration of new methodologies. In the plant, in the factory, the process, you know, we were seeing the continued emergence of all kinds of methodologies, new ways of doing things, you know, ways to challenge uh, what we were doing in process, obviously additive in 3D. Um, I had some really unique situations along the way. For example, there's a company based out of uh, St. Louis, Amstead Rail, that they manufacture rail bogies, the undercarriage rail cars. And they're having to compete with, you know, lower cost offshore Chinese suppliers. They know that cost reduction is critical to their future. So, you know, we had a good leadership discussion. That was a lot of the events I do are senior leadership, you know, CEO level events uh, talking about what's going on with 3D. What can we expect? Where is that trend going to take us in the future? How soon might it become real? Uh, a lot of us talk about IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things in the factory. Uh, you know, I was with um, uh, one organization and they brought in, you know, 500 engineers to talk about what do we get? We get better visibility, uh, you know, better management of our manufacturing process. We get better insight into where things are going wrong. I mean, this is a, this is a trend that had major legs uh, pre-COVID. I, one of the most exciting trends, I think, that was out there was uh, rapid product prototyping and you know iterative design. It used to be we design a product, we bring it to market, we'd sell it. Well, what we've seen with the acceleration of methodology and all these trends is we can now design a product, we can test it, we can put it out to our customers, we can redesign it. You know, the whole iterative design process was beginning to take over the world of manufacturing. And a lot of that was driven by crowdfunding, crowdsourcing. I mean, I, you know, Kickstarter, things like this. I think. 
uh, edge thinking sort of became the incubator for a lot of very innovative product design because what people were doing, you know, smaller sized organizations could put an idea out there. They could get the reaction of folks. They could have this, again, iterative design process going back and forth. So I think, I, I think we were seeing a lot of influence on product design uh, and, and con, you know, conceptual thinking of what could we manufacture uh, as a result of what was occurring with crowdfunding. Uh, this led to a really sit unique situation, you know, with the rapid emergence of a lot of the new competitors. Uh, and I think one of the most fascinating impacts of this was, you know, organizations that were embedding intelligence into their products uh, were suddenly competing with mainstream manufacturers. So if you think of someone like Ecobee or the Nest Thermostat, uh, if you're a Lennox Furnaces and you're selling thermostats, you're Honeywell, you're selling thermostats, whoa, we've got these new competitors who are challenging the very essence of the product we are selling skills issues. I mean, I spoke at so many manufacturing um, conferences where the big issue is skills. I was with a company called Genesis Systems. They're a robotics manufacturer in um, Davenport, Iowa. And they brought me in for a dinner talk. And we, it was actually on the factory floor. It was a really, really cool set. Talking to a few hundred uh, manufacturing executives. And I put up this quote that, you know, from a machinist uh, who observed the typical machinist today, it's almost as if they need to be able to do trigonometry in their heads to deal with the complexity of the process. I, the skills issue is, is massive. We know that. We've been talking about that for years. I don't think we've really fixed it. Uh, new material science. Just five years ago, I was with uh, the annual Powder Met uh, conference in, in Boston and talking about the rapid emergence of new materials. Uh, you think about automotive, uh, you know, the whole trend towards lightening of the vehicle, aluminum. I can never say that word correctly. Uh, you know, the, the new materials which let's, let us change what we manufacture or decrease the weight of what we manufacture. I mean, there's been a flood of new material science, the whole process to make devices intelligent, uh, internet of things embedded in, in, in products. You know, we, we change the very essence of the product once we embed connectivity. And obviously Amazon, uh, you know, how do we change our supply chain to deal with the fact that you know, so much more of what we're doing is going direct to consumer and uh, we're witnessing new competitors. And, uh, you know, I mean, there was just a flood of stuff that we were talking about pre-pandemic uh, in the world of manufacturing. And this is where associations and manufacturing companies and, you know, look, organizations like the World Bank were asking me as a futurist, what do we need to do about this stuff? And what are these trends and what are they going to need? And how do we align those? And more, most important, how do we, you know, turn them from being a threat into an opportunity? Yeah. And, you know, going back to your, your tagline, right? The future belongs to, to those who are fast, right? And I know you've spent a, a career, you know, a, around some of the largest manufacturers. I think a lot of times we focus on and talk about some of the largest manufacturers in the world. And a lot of what you touched on applies to anybody, applies to any company, not just a manufacturer necessarily, but also to those that are small, those that, you know, and I think this still holds true that th those that are smaller are now able to compete at different levels than the, than they may have been able to in the past with the giants in the, in that industry. Um, do you see that changing? Uh, do you see that accelerating? Uh, can you talk to that at all? I, it, it, it's a huge issue. Look, I actually built a very healthy business um, going into senior leadership meetings, talking about agile and not agile software development, 
but leadership agility. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Um, New York Life, Mercedes-Benz, uh, Bowringer Ingelheim, which is a pharmaceutical company, uh, and a few others brought me in for CEO level sessions where the key theme was our world is changing fast. We've got to change faster. We've got to develop an, a new leadership agility to, to, to move faster. And, you know, I mean, Mercedes-Benz is, is the perfect example. Cars are becoming computers. Tesla is setting the pace. It's a, it's a big iPhone on wheels. And, you know, an organization like Mercedes, Chrysler, um, uh, Ford, they don't have that high-tech culture. They don't have that Silicon Valley mentality. And so they have been used to moving and evolving at a rather slow pace. Well, look, I mean, your car dashboard from 2016 uh, is irrelevant and old and from the olden days by 2018 and, you know, ancient by the year 2020. So they know they had to accelerate their style, their, their workforce, the flexibility, agility. These, these sort of became keywords pre-pandemic. And yeah, they did know that a lot of the competition was co coming from smaller, more nimble, agile startups. It, it's a very, very unique world. And so a huge amount of business around that theme of speed, the future belongs to those who are fast. And uh, look, my closing tagline on stage uh, was think big, start small, scale fast. And that actually became, you know, the, the, the title of a book. And that's where I noticed everybody was writing that down. Well, yeah, that's it. That's, a, that's the formula that we need for success. The Forging Manufacturing Podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus of helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, and what, what I found, you know, pre-COVID was these customers I was working with were, were all trying to sprint. They just didn't know where to sprint to or, or, or what technologies to tackle next. Um, I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting coming out of this, this COVID era to see, see how this, this works out, pans out. Yeah, that's a very real issue. Look, I spent a lot of time talking about what I called experiential capital. And I sort of explained, you know, when, you, when it comes to your future, you've got to have a lot of financial capital, obviously, to invest in, you know, new assets and new methods and new technologies. But you also need a lot of experiential capital. And that's the accumulated experience you come up from doing new things. So when I was with Amstead Rail, which later expanded to Amstead, you know, which was auto parts and other organizations, they brought me in a second time. You know, the theme we explored was, well, 3D printing. We should simply just try it out. We don't know exactly where we're going with this stuff, but we know we have to make great time. So let's take on some projects to try it out. And they had a really cool thing. They, they had what I, they called the Google Room. And they had three young manufacturing engineers. They bought them all the toys. They bought them all the 3D printers. They bought them all the IIoT devices. They bought them all the, the latest cool stuff. And they, they basically said, go forth and play with this. Uh, we don't know exactly what we're going to do with it, but we think it's important to figure it out. You, you as the young people need to figure this out for us. I then started going into other companies and noticed they had, they called it the Xbox room. And the whole idea was, was this stuff is evolving fast. We don't know exactly what it means, but we have to figure it out. And that's all part of this, this issue of speed. Yeah. I can't tell you how many 3d printers I've seen collecting dust and manufacturing, uh, companies because they just don't know what to do with it just yet. But it's important to to begin to get the expertise 
uh, around it because we know it is going to be very real in the long run. Yeah. Before we hop into the next set of 10, which is talking about, you know, what what people are talking about during the pandemic, during the COVID uh, times, one last thing that you touched on is that that skills gap. And, you know, we know in manufacturing, especially there's this, the aging workforce and the ability to change with the the people that you have. And you have eight, like number one tip, the thing that you can tell any manufacturer that it's like, it's okay. You know, we can get around this. Do you have, have you seen anything specifically work? Is there a magic button, so to speak? Um, and, and how do you accomplish, you know, tackling I, that I, issue? I, I'm excited by community colleges because I think, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of very innovative things between manufacturing companies and community colleges that look, you know, we need this skill. Let's go forth to a community college and they'll put together the education program to, to help us develop that. I think it's, 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 you know, realizing that the skills we have today are not what are going to service tomorrow. And, and so we've got to continually enhance them, build upon them. I, I, I think, you know, as well, there's got to be a little bit of a reality check. I think, you know, I think what we've seen, you know, in the U.S. over the last several years is there's an easy way out. All we need to do is, you know, build some walls and put in tariffs and, uh, you know, things like that. And we can bring all this manufacturing back. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't happen like that because, you don't have the skills. We haven't done everything that is necessary to deal with the fact that the manufacturing of tomorrow is not going to be like the manufacturing of 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010. We got to solve the skills gap. We're not going to solve it through easy, perceived easy political fixes. And so I think we, you know, we've done a bit of, uh, you know, damage to our momentum in the last uh, several years because this is a global issue, um, and those who invest in the skills issue on a global perspective or those who win. Yeah, you, um, it's interesting because I, as I was talking to one, one manufacturer, they were speaking about, there was such a push for to getting the young kids into, into computer science, right? And all of those, those trades just sort of fell off the wayside. You know, they weren't, the trades weren't sexy enough, right? They all went into computer science and now we do have this big, huge skills gap in manufacturing. Yeah, and even that, I mean, you know, I, I would often tell the story on stage about a, a you know, a, a fellow came into our home, um, an HVAC contractor, heat and ventilation, air conditioning contractor to install uh, my original internet thermostat. It was like 2006, one of the first IP enabled thermostats. And, you know, he looked at it and he's, well, I can do the wiring into the furnace and the air conditioner, but this Ethernet stuff, I have no idea what to do. And I remember saying, well, that's okay. My 12-year-old will do it. And he did. You think about that HVAC contractor. He or she now needs to know more knowledge than ever before to deal with the fact that their products have become intelligent. So all this stuff, all of these trends come together, skills, IT, trades, you know, it's all part of the same process. And, and so that's why I think there's guys like me, if, you know, a futurist, because we're helping to paint the path as to what you really need to do to align to this future. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well said. And uh, I guess maybe we should uh, go on to what we're talking about or were we're talking about yeah, during I, the COVID. So like, I guess we're know, still talking, right? My life was grand. Your life is grand. And then, you know, like COVID hit and whoa, you know. Uh, Are you able to play golf yet? That's the important and, question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's here's what I did. I mean, uh, you know, I had to virtualize. I, I knew within a week that I was not going back on the big glorious stages in Las Vegas. So I, you know, built this big complicated uh, green screen studio with like 13 lights and eight cameras. And uh, I actually ended up doing, uh, you know, a fair bit of business down here uh, last year. 
uh, talking in the world of healthcare, talking in the world of manufacturing, keynotes, you know, virtual, uh, you know, and had a good gig going on for a while. Now everybody's sick of it. You know, everybody wants to get back to in-person events and I'm actually, uh, you know, getting bookings into the fall to go back on, you know, big glorious stages. But through the through the pandemic, well, you know, doing these virtual talks, so I was giving a lot of thought to, well, how are industries changing? So again, I was brought into agriculture, I was brought into healthcare, I was brought into, you know, a whole variety of different organizations, and manufacturing was one of them. And so in this virtual world where I'm in this, you know, tiny little box, uh, here's what I saw happening. We we obviously were shifting from what I call just-in-time inventory to just-in-case. Uh, supply chains were so messed up and this rush to e-commerce and you know, we, we all had to operate at such a speed, it was staggering. And uh, look, I golf with a guy, he's a buyer for Walmart and they're painting hardware edition. And he said, look, like we just source product. We get product wherever the heck we can because everything we knew about where we got product has, has gone out the window. So it's sort of like just in case. I think that was a big shift. And that was all part of supply chain volatility. I think every single manufacturing executive just had to manage this massive new volatility that was never a part of that world. And with that came price inflation, which is, you know, still part of what we're wrestling with, uh, uh, you know, and a, a continual increase in, in the, the um, price of the raw materials for our supply chain. I think one of the coolest things, um, you know, that happened through the pandemic number four was we saw a lot of manufacturing organizations suddenly shift to new methodologies. So if you think about what, happened in March and April of 2020, we had manufacturing companies who were suddenly utilizing their unused 3D printing uh, you know, technology, which they had tried out to print masks and nasal swabs and surgical masks and face shields. We, we saw such a rush of manufacturing companies suddenly pursuing these new methodologies to build critical healthcare stuff. And I think what happened there is a lot of CEOs went, whoa, like this 3D printing stuff is very real. Uh, manufacturing companies had to suddenly accelerate their adoption of robotics because you know we had to um, put in place a lot of physical distancing in the plant and robotics, getting them outside of the cage. Uh, you know, begin you know using utilizing these advanced robotics, which have fewer safety risks uh, as we tried to deal with social distancing things. That became a huge issue. Um, we saw a lot of um, need for, let's call it acceleration of product uh, production visibility issues. You know, that our supply chains are busted and we got to manage cost and it's very complicated. We need really good insight into what we're doing to manage uh, our entire process. Uh, one of the most fascinating trends was sudden new demand volatility. You couldn't buy a bicycle for the life of you. I tried to score some kettlebells last year as I was building my home gym. And I mean, that was like, not that I ever did it, but it's probably like, you know, scoring drugs in the 70s. Whoa, I got kettlebells. I mean, <laughs> you, you think about there was suddenly this new demand for products and companies that were in those in-demand industries were suddenly dealing with new issues they never had to deal with before. Uh, I, I witnessed throughout the manufacturing sector, you know, a greater focus on cost management. How do we manage these costs? Because nothing makes sense anymore and people are working at home and we've got you know the safety issues and distancing issues and uh, price inflation of raw materials we really need to nail down the cost issue uh, throughout every single aspect of the supply chain to the consumer you think about all the new external partnerships that we saw as a result of e-commerce people shopping at home and 
there was a lot more um, direct to consumer and all of a sudden we need partners to um, manage the logistics, to manage the last mile, to interface with Amazon, to uh, you know, help us build a direct to consumer e-commerce site. I, I think a lot of manufacturing companies suddenly had to pursue new partnerships they never had to do before. And then through all this, it's really kind of cool that um, a lot of the, the big trends that guys like me were talking about pre-pandemic, which whether it's electric cars and batteries or autonomous vehicles or renewable solar wind technology, it's, it's I don't know what happened, but it's almost like the pandemic accelerated all of these trends and, and, and made them faster. And so where we find ourselves, we had these trends pre-pandemic and then like everything went wonky and all of a sudden we're dealing with new issues. And I, I think organizations really learned a lot of very, very unique stuff uh, along the way. Yeah, you know, and I, I, would you agree? I mean, the, so the the previous, what you were talking pre-COVID, I mean, none of that truly went away, right? It's the, the focus has kind of shifted. I'm sure all of that becomes, this is almost a compound effect, would you say? Yeah, I, uh, we were, we were, I, th I think what happened was we were all just in survival mode. I mean, we had to get through this thing. We had to virtualize our workforce and we had to learn how to work at a different, you know, level of speed, because if we were talking about a world that was fast before, all of a sudden, wow, now it's like crazy fast. So I think, you know, we've spent the last year, the last uh, 14 months simply doing what we needed to do to get by but all of the previous trends really never went away. Yeah, yeah. You know, and something that really resonated with me, I think it was your number eight. I guess it falls into a, a few different, but the greater focus on cost management. I mean, when you have companies that are are scared out of their minds, right? They're looking about their looking at their own survival and they're furloughing certain, you know, employees. And so they're this whole you know, manufacturing uh, forever has had this do more with less kind of mentality in, in, an, in you know, to an extent. Um, but now I, what I've seen come out of it as we speak with some of our manufacturing customers, it's, hey, you know what, there's so much data right there available to us to help us make better decisions, to help us do more with less, maybe repurpose. They're hiring back some of their furloughed employees. And now they're really smart about where they're focusing their time, their investments. And a lot of it seems to have been on leveraging data and managing the processes around what they actually make. Yeah, I, th I think something, I'd agree with that. I think something really magical happened through the pandemic. Like all the, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not just a futurist. I talk a lot about innovation and the innovation mindset. And I mean, I've got a list of what I call the innovation killers, the excuses we make. You can't do that because we've always done it this way. It won't work. It's a dumb idea. The boss won't go for it. It's doomed to fail. I, and I think a lot of that went away with the pandemic simply because we had to move fast. I, I talked about a trend, I call it aggressive indecision. Companies, you know, couldn't make decisions and we were aggressively indecisive. Well, that went away because like we had to, to make fast decisions. I think, I think what occurred, it wasn't just these trends, but we had a massive leadership and cultural change. Uh, within organizations, and I've actually got entire lists and videos on my website where I talk about what that what that cultural change is. And you know, one of the trends I talk about is we we witnessed the disappearance of committees. You think about it. We used to like organize a meeting. We'd organize a committee who would go away and study it, and you know, come back two months later with a recommendation, and we'd have another committee meeting to talk about. Well, that didn't happen with the pandemic. We all jumped onto a Zoom call, 
we've got this issue, let's tackle it and let's make a decision in the next 10 minutes because we don't have time. So I think part and parcel of what has occurred is a massive, massive cultural change and leadership style change. And I don't think we're going back. And if you didn't undergo that type of change in your manufacturing company and your competitors did, you're suddenly falling behind. And all of that flowed into the cost issue because look for freight, you know, we suddenly had to hire, you know, cargo jets to move product because supply chains were broken and oh, cost escalation. I mean, I golf with one lady and she actually had to charter the AN-225, the largest, you know, freighter plane in the world to bring some products into Toronto, Canada, where I'm based. And like, that's not cheap to do. So yeah, cost management became a massive issue. Uh, going forward. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the um, negative talk and the negative impact that we had on, on the manufacturers, we also saw some complete opposites, right? We saw companies, I was working with a company who made uh, disposable wipes and they just couldn't make them fast enough. So they saw a huge uptick in their business. They ended up having to, they, they, they couldn't even figure out how to revamp their, their current facilities to manufacture enough. They ended up breaking ground on a new facility just to keep up with demand. Yeah, and that's that's the type of thing I think we've learned. I, I I think, you know, organizations like that are now sitting back going, whoa, like 2019 seems kind of quaint because we were really slow and we've discovered speed. We've discovered the power of speed. We've discovered the benefit of speed. And now the big issue is how do we keep doing that? And, and so I think this, you know, on the other side of this thing, as we come out into this different world, it's a whole new ballgame. Yeah. Yeah, well, and before we get into uh, the the last set of 10 is what we're talking about, we'll continue to talk about, you know, after the pandemic. Um, I, I do want to to give you a plug. I mean, so you talked about your website, and there are so many phenomenal resources up there, Jim. Uh, so jimcarroll.com. And also check out his books. I've had the opportunity. I've, I saw you what, six, seven years ago, I think at a, at a keynote in Philadelphia, uh, your, your keynotes are unbelievable. Your books and one of them, uh, the Think Big, Start Small, Scale Fast, actually is a, a, a bunch of excerpts from your keynotes, right? Uh, it's very easy to consume and it's so thought-provoking and powerful uh, just in the format that you even uh, wrote it in. So uh, please, if everybody, I, I suggest checking out jimcarroll.com and take a look at the books. Thank you. And, and you know what, like that book came out in January 2020, two weeks before the like the pandemic really settled in. So it kind of sank like a stone. But uh, actually, I got another new one coming out uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, which is all about I, I spoke to a lot of people about what they were doing to reinvent through the uh, through the process. And, and that's a big part of the future is reinvention. You know, and now we've got to reinvent for the uh, for the other side. Well, Jason, it's cliffhanger time. Uh, we seem to have run out of time and we'll have to break this into two episodes. Yeah, wow, that was great. Um, certain our listeners are anxious to hear Jim's final top 10, where we'll talk about the post-COVID trends of manufacturing. Yes. Join us on the next episode. We'll go through that and some final thoughts. Forging Manufacturing is directed and produced by Dave Hampton and Jason Flores, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Forging Manufacturing is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2021.